This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 60, Top 10 Reasons Not to Own Universal Life. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Not Your Average Financial Podcast. Uh, My name is Mark Willis, one of your co-hosts, and with me is Holly Bach. Welcome, Holly. Thank you, Mark, and welcome, everyone. Okay, so we are going to go lightning fast through, I think, just some uh, incredible content that uh, hopefully will present to you, our listeners, uh, 10 reasons this financial asset of Index Universal Life and all of its kissing cousins do just don't belong in your portfolio. Uh, if you do own one of these policies, please, please just hear us. Um, you know, even if you never work with us, even if you just unsubscribe from our podcast, which I hope you don't do, please subscribe. But after this episode, if you just don't agree, whatever, please hear us. You know, just don't keep this policy. If you can at all help it, don't keep that index universal life policy. So, you know, insurance companies have put numerous pages on the front of index universal life illustrations uh, that describe all of these issues uh, that we're about to read to you and talk to you about. But most people... Uh, and I think this is by design of the insurance companies that sell Index Universal Life. Uh, most people just uh, are intimidated and don't take the time to read through or especially understand what those pages are saying and what they're signing to, right? So, you know, I would encourage you to read those pages uh, thoroughly before depending on an Index Universal Life policy to, you know, protect and, and uh, protect your money and protect your family. So as stated earlier, all universal life policies, this is kind of a quick summary of last episode, but all universal life policies are a side fund uh, with term insurance, one-year renewable term insurance for the death benefit. So a side fund could be in a money market account for regular, regular universal life. It could be a mutual fund separate account like variable universal life. Or it could just be watching an index like with Index Universal Life, but all of them are a side fund of money with with annual renewable term insurance for the death benefit. So, Holly, any quick thoughts before we jump into our top 10 list? Nope, let's go for it. We've got a lot of content to cover here. All right, cool. (laughs) So, you know, we're not necessarily David Letterman, but we're going to start with number 10 and work our way up. So, number 10, illustrated values are overly optimistic and misleading. All right. So first, I guess the, the first of our 10 or our 10th uh, reason not to own universal life, it has to do with the uh, illustrated values being overly optimistic and misleading. So first, their interest rate predictions are based on the past performance of various stock market indexes. So often focusing on a you know recent 20 to 30 year period. While remember that the last 30 years includes the longest bull market in history. So how likely do you think it is that that performance is going to repeat itself? And are you really willing to bet your life savings on it? Um, If you look at the guarantees in an IUL illustration, um, look down at the bottom of uh, of the page, the bottom left of the page, and you will actually see goose eggs. Now we're talking about the guaranteed illustration. So there's going to be a guaranteed illustration and a hypothetical illustration. Look at the guaranteed one. You'll see 
again, these goose eggs. So these policies actually tend to explode and the cash value and the death benefit will literally go to zero on you. Okay. Now, why we point that out is because, of course, everyone's going to tell you to look at the hypotheticals. Don't worry about the guarantees that never happens. However, do you want a product that it is possible for that to happen? I mean, that, that, that scenario is clearly possible because it it's there. It yeah. exists, right? And so if you had to fall back on the guarantees because worst case scenario happens, there's a good chance that you could pay into this policy for years and years and years and have nothing to show for it. So um, agents who sell these policies will tell you that they have a proven track record, but they've only been around for 15 years. The product itself has only been around 15, 20 years. Yeah. So yeah. what kind of uh, track record is there? Yeah. Truly. So mm -hmm. because they don't really have a lengthy track record, they'll tell you that these policies have been back, te back tested in order to increase accuracy. However, we all know if, I mean, anyone's been in the market for any amount of time, you know that past performance does not necessarily guarantee future performance. Um, and then second, illustrations for indexed universal life insurance policies are further skewed by projecting a given average annual rate of return, then predicting that you'll get that same return every year for the life of the policy. So how likely do you think it is that the market indexes will increase by the exact same percentage every single year? for 50 years or more. That's just simply not going to happen. So listen again to the episode that we did with Les Himmel. He really shared some great insights with us on, on how that um, dynamic works in episode 52, and it will help you kind of see what happens when you remove the volatility and simply look forward on an average, you dramatically overestimate the results. So, you yeah. know, kind of an example is a 5% average return as a straight line project projection might only mean a cumulative rate of return of 3.35%. That's huge. That's huge. I, I get that that sounds nerdy and almost like uh, very arcane, but literally if you're, if you're banking on your retirement being, um, getting you uh, to where you need to go and you're relying on a 5% average, because that's what the last 30 years of, or the last 20 years of the S&P did, and it has done that. Um, but in truth, your experience, the change in value is only 3.35%. That's, that's going to ma matter whether or not you go out to eat in retirement or mm -hmm. not, right? Yep. So do you really think that just because they're showing you an illustration with a projected return of 8% every year, that you'll actually earn 8% in any year, let alone every single year, year after year after year after year. This won't happen. Yeah. So the agent will tell you that you'll get a portion of the market's increase in any given year, but he may not tell you that the company can change how much of the market's increase you'll be allowed to share in at its own discretion. Mm. Um, whereas in contrast, bank on yourself type policies, uh, projections must by law predict future growth at a rate that is no higher than the current dividend scale. Okay. So we're looking at today's current dividend scale on whole life insurance repeated every year for the rest of your life. And if you dug a little deeper into the guaranteed cash value column of a whole life policy, it always shows a higher cash value this year than you had last year. As you're paying your premiums in, it's just guaranteed to grow. Mm -hmm. Love it. Yep, exactly right. 
Okay, so that is uh, reason number 10 <laughs> um, not to. So then, Mark, why don't you share with us a little bit about reason number nine, which is that Index Universal Life is a ticking time bomb because of the internal costs. Okay, so yeah, the costs for insurance and administrative charges are deducted from an IUL's policy values every single month. By the way, uh, those costs can include char insurance charges, policy charges, transaction charges, policy issue charges, premium charges. Why are they going to charge you a, a charge to pay your premium? That's weird. And costs <laughs> for additional riders too. So you're charged uh, expenses every month and you're typically only given an interest credit yearly or even every three years with some in index universal life policies. So right there, your costs are coming out monthly. You're only getting interest credits uh, yearly or at least uh, yearly, sometimes longer. So this is so different from a whole life policy where all the costs have already been deducted from both your guaranteed and your projected results before you put any money into it. You can see it clear as day. So it's not unusual for an index universal life product to have surrender charges that last 10 years, 15 years, or, or even longer. All insurance policies have costs, okay? So, you know, the policy owner is going to pay those costs no matter what. But an IUL insurance contract states that those costs go up for the company. If, it, if they do, they can pass those costs from the company onto you, the policy owner, up to some sort of guaranteed maximum limit. And they have to show that right there in their spreadsheet illustration that they give you before you sign up. So look for those. Uh, bank on yourself type whole life policies can never pass more costs onto you if the insurance company needs more cash. So most of the time when people are shown these illustrations, they only look at the minimum charges that the insurance company is going to charge or maybe the current charges, but definitely not looking at the maximum charges that that company is allowed and guaranteed to, uh, to charge you if they need to. So it's true that if you consistently pay your IUL premiums at the highest available allowable premium level, that your costs will not increase dramatically, but you still have no idea what your cash value is going to be. So that's so ironic, I think, because the de design of these policies long ago in the early 80s when they got started, late 70s, was intended to provide a bunch of uh, transparency and even flexibility on the premium and the costs but it's the costs that have been really obfuscated. I'm going to use that $4 word, made less clear, okay? It's, it's made more opaque uh, for the policy owner today than even a whole life policy is now. So it's, it's truly the most rigid and punishing of, of, of the uh, different types of permanent life insurance policies. So the eighth reason why not to own indexed universal life is increasing mortality expenses are another bomb waiting to go off. Holly, tell us about that one. Yeah, so mort mortality charges are, you know, what the insurance company charges for the death benefit are removed from the cash value or paid by premiums. So the mortality charge that is, you know, a part and piece of the policy because it's still a life insurance contract and there's still a death benefit is going to be paid out from your cash value or, you know, premiums that you're paying in. So in IUL, these pay for annually increasing term insurance costs. This is true for any type of UL, no matter what the side fund is invested in. So now we're talking about the other side of the of the um, product. So we said it's a, you know, annually renewable, annually renewing term insurance policy coupled with a side fund. So we were just talking about the um, term, this is the term part of it. So this is true for any, any type. The, the cost for this one year term insurance can be changed at 
any time. In most index universal life contracts, the mortality charges against the contract's value increase over time as the insured client ages, right? Which makes sense. As we get older, it gets more and more expenses or expensive. While carriers illustrate this in any proposals that the agent provides to the client, clients need to keep in mind that carriers reserve the right to increase mortality charges beyond the increases already shown in the illustration. Okay, so there are two changes, one of which we know is going to happen. The cost of insurance absolutely will increase on your human life mm-hmm. if you have a birthday. And we all have birthdays at least once a year, hopefully not more. Uh, On the other side, the insurance company itself is able to change how much they increase that cost on you every year. And they Mm -hmm. might or might not even have to alert you to that change. And and so those are the two components of mortality expenses, as you say, is a time bomb waiting to go off. Yeah. So (laughs) it's kind of like that the reverse working against you where there's like a guaranteed amount it's going to go up. Then there's the unknown of how much more it could go up. You know, so it's like rather than your money being guaranteed to grow at a certain amount and you have the potential for more, it's like on the flip side, oh, well, it's guaranteed it's going to get this much more expensive. And then there's all this potential for it to get even more expensive. So we looked deep into this, right? And Holly, you found a uh, universal life insurance company's cost of insurance table. It's a spreadsheet right in their uh, contract. Yeah. And so it showed that on their table of guaranteed maximum cost of insurance rates uh, per $1,000, a net amount at risk for a male age 30, the cost of that $1,000 to the insurance company was 12 cents. So not too bad. So the uh, the guy who's 30 years old is going to pay 12 cents for every $1,000 of net amount at risk or death benefit, let's say, to the insurance company, something like yep. that. Okay. Yep. Um, then when he's 35, it's 14 cents. So still not too bad. Um, but by the time that they're 65 years old, however, the cost is now $1.88. For the same $1,000. For the same amount. That amount at risk. Okay. And going up 20 cents a year. So that by the eight, by the time they're age 75, it's now $5.33. So it's three times more expensive than it was just 10 years ago. Wow. So, I mean, that's what we're talking about, this like exponential increase. Um, that is just the nature of how term insurance works. So are you going to pay for those increases or will your cash value have, you know, enough to cough up up to cover that cost of your aging body. I mean, will you have any cash value even left at the end of that? So we we have some uh, table and charts on this uh, we'd love to show you. So um, that's that's number eight. What's next? All right. So number seven is late payments kill any guarantees. Okay. So any late payments remove any guarantees in the policy. With most universal life policies, even if the premium is finally paid, let's say you forgot or it got buried or you were on vacation when the premium was due or just something else happened, the the, uh, money didn't get to the insurance company on time. Once that um, premium is paid late, the insurance company is off the hook for supporting any of their guaranteed premiums, cash value amounts, or death benefits. That's huge, huge. Do you think that over 50 years, there might ever be a circumstance where you might miss a premium by a week or two? Uh, So, you know, in many cases, the insured might not even know that that premium was late and the guarantee had been forfeited decades ago. Thinking about that time frame, it's just hard to believe that, um, you know, anyone could make it their entire lifetime without missing, uh, making a mistake on, on the way to uh, pay the premium, the bank may be missing a payment, the post office missing, I mean, shoot, you know, um, 
do you want your uh, <laughs> retirement guarantees built around the Postal Service? I mean, that, that to <laughs> me sounds like a problem right there. Number six, a uh, reason not to own universal li- index universal life. No dividends are paid on index universal life when the index is positive. Tell us about that one, Holly. Yes. Yeah, so this is referring to the dividends of Wall Street and the dividends that companies pay out. So dividends really are an important part of getting the gains that Wall Street is famous for. I mean, there are a lot of uh, famous investors that believe in only buying dividend paying stocks Mm -hmm. because those dividends are so valuable. Um, Whereas when you have an IUL, the side fund of an IUL isn't actually invested in the index. Instead, the index is used to determine the gross crediting rate for the side fund. So just by how much it's going to grow. If money were actually invested in the index, the investor would get both the change in the value and the dividend income. However, in the case of an IUL, only the change in value of the index is the determining factor and the dividend is left out of the calculation entirely. So you're not Hmm. actually getting to enjoy any part of that. So break Um, that down for us. So, you know, for folks that um, maybe didn't catch everything you just said, because you just said some super valuable stuff, is there, tell us the case study from say like 2000 to 2017. Yeah, so from 2000 to 2017, with dividends, the real return, the CAGR, which we talked about in another episode, um, has been 5.4%. Without dividend, your return would only be 3.3%. So that's really losing almost a third of your gains um, just by not getting that dividend wow. out of the market as well. So the the market, the S&P 500 uh, from 2000 to 2017 with dividends gave us a whopping 5.4%. That's kind of a shocker for a lot of people right there. Mm-hmm. But if you took dividends out of the equation, the index changed only 3.3% of the year for the last 18 years. That's That's another shocker. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. And so while not getting Wall Street gains, you do get dividends when you have a bank on yourself type policy. So dividends are still paid. Um, all right. So now number five here, um, even the guarantees of an indexed universal life policy are suspicious. Okay. So at the top of the episode, we talked about how you, uh, your policy or last episode, we talked about how the policies offer an interest rate guarantee of 1%, 2%, or even 3% a year to make up for those years when the markets are flat or markets going down. And the illustration uh, can reflect that, which sounds awesome. Even when the markets are crashing, you're getting a positive 1%, 2 or 3%. However, most policies do not actually credit the guaranteed interest to your policy every year. They may do it every five years or 10 years, or even most commonly, only when that policy uh, is terminated. So 50 years from now, let's say. So the illustration is pure fiction. It's just pure fiction at the end of the day there. Uh, So meanwhile, all the costs are still coming out every single month, which means your policy is losing value, losing value, even when the markets are going down or markets are going sideways. It's just losing value, even in the years when the market is going up a little bit, let's say. So uh, you then need even higher future returns to make up for that negative return. Did your IUL agent warn you about that? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's entirely possible that you could pay your premiums every year and still end up with no cash value and no death benefit if the stock market index uh, that was used didn't perform as the agent decades ago projected for you. Another IUL policy illustration uh, we've seen clearly states, quote, based on policy guarantees, the cash, value, uh, cash values are zero at age 100. 
of course, that disclosure of <laughs> is in super small print, but you can imagine, um, I'm sure you can, imagining paying those premiums for decades and decades and then at age 100 having zero cash value. So, I mean, that's so different, guys, from a bank-on-yourself type whole life policy. Uh, with a bank-on-yourself type whole life policy, everything except the dividend is known to you right up front and guaranteed and determined in advance before you put a single penny into the policy. Your cash value is guaranteed to equal your death benefit when the policy matures. So it's not just the cash value, there are uh, death benefit issues with guarantees. So unless you have a no lapse guarantee on your index universal life or universal life, your policy could lapse and then you could lose the policy and it could even trigger a bunch of tax consequences. So with mm -hmm. an IUL, if you miss or delay premium payments, that'll reduce how long the death benefit guarantee stays in effect. This is, I've seen this with real live human beings, <laughs> clients of ours, uh, thankfully who we've helped move out of this. Uh, and it can even void the guarantee if you miss a few payments. So think about this, if an IUL, in an IUL policy, there is no option to turn the premium uh, or uh, in, turn the premium off, to turn the policy into something that's called fully paid up where no more premiums are due. So with an IUL policy, it means that depending on many factors outside of your control, you may have to continue paying premiums out of pocket for the rest of your life just to keep that policy in force. So the premium for a bank on yourself type policy is guaranteed never to increase. The policy has a specified year after which no more premiums are due. So you always have the option of taking the policy paid up with no more premiums due any time after the seventh year and still keep all the tax advantages. So that one is just so different from uh, what a whole life policy allows uh, our clients to do. Well, and what it's, you know, saying, you were saying there is um, you could have to continue making those payments out of pocket, but those payments, I mean, if you're just paying cost to keep mm -hmm. up, right, yep. to keep it in force, like just kind of barely getting by, that's also going to be getting more and more expensive for you, you know, due to right. the mortality costs that we talked about earlier. So, you know, not only are you going to be paying out of pocket, but imagine paying out of pocket an ever increasing amount each and every year for mm -hmm. as long as you live. Yeah. I mean, that's just... That's just a huge problem. Especially throughout retirement when you don't exactly have a ton of money to be thrown. Your income may yeah. not be increasing right. to compensate for that. That's so right. you're, you're going to be looking at a scenario with a decreasing lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's tragic. When you're living on passive income, you don't need aggressive increasing ex lifestyle expenses or, or premium expenses in this case. Mm -hmm. So number yeah. four, reason not to have an IUL. Drum roll, please. Loans have risk, again, with Index Universal Life. All right. So for example, I'm going to give you an example here to talk about, you know, how that works. So the illustration, let's say, only shows a loan interest rate of 6%. Okay. Um, but then it also shows an 8% annual return. So that sounds pretty good, right? You're in a pretty good position. <clears throat> Means that in theory, anyway, you could have a 2% gain on the amount you borrowed. So you take some money out, you pay 6%, and you get 8%. So why not, you know, just get yourself one of these policies that borrow every dime you can at 6% and earn 8% on the same money. End up 2% positive year over year. I'll meet you in Vegas. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> um, but there's just one problem with that. In most IUL policies, every year there's no gain in the stock market index. There's little or no credit to your policy. 
Meanwhile, the costs are continuing to be taken out of the policy too. And you now have a recipe for disaster where you don't have that same amount of money growing at 8% anymore because you didn't get the 8%, but then your loan is still growing at 6%. And so it can become, you know, too many bad years in that scenario. You're actually going to be looking at, you know, losing, you know, the eight, the 6% is going to yeah. be compounding against you potentially and the eight, the quote unquote 8% that you're not getting isn't adding up enough to actually help, you know, cover you. So it's a slide backwards. Yep, mm-hmm. exactly. All right. Now, number three here. Um, number three is ongoing litigation. All right. Many, many class action lawsuits are still in process and starting new ones each year regarding indexed universal life. Unfortunately, many people have lost all of their money. And it's a great thought experiment for us on this podcast, but it's real actual people who are suffering because they were sold something that they didn't understand back in the 90s or 80s or, or even the last 10 years. Uh, so, and, and we'll continue to lose that insurance protection too. So it's not just the uh, policy owners, it's also the, these defrauded beneficiaries, mm-hmm. uh, widows, children. Uh, So there are a dozen new lawsuits uh, against insurance companies who sold these policies, according to the New York Times. And in 2015, there was a class action lawsuit filed against three major universal life companies, which basically said the plaintiff's claim was that there was this sudden unilateral increase in the costs and premiums required to keep the policies in force, which uh, they they believe, the plaintiff believes, that there's a breach and express and implied obligations Uh, that the insurance company breached uh, to the policy owners uh, in those policies. And there's also a violation, they believe, in California state law because of that. So increasing the cost of insurance could lead policies to lapse more quickly than investors even expected. If a policy's cash value deteriorates to the point where there's no longer any money in there, uh, and if you can't continue to fund the policy, it will collapse on itself. So the insurance company had a really interesting defense statement when they were making public comment about this lawsuit. The insurance company said their response was, quote, it's important to note that even after the increase goes into effect, the rates will still be at or below the maximum rates allowed under the policy contracts. So, wow, I mean, talk about gall, right? That's like talk about customer service there. They're saying, hey, you know what? You're suing us and we could probably still raise your rates even higher. (laughs) crazy. Yeah. Wow. So uh, usually the costs are the main point of the lawsuit, but there are other reasons too. Many of the plaintiffs are in their 70s or even 80s, 80 years old. And honestly, they have other things to be worried about at that point. Maybe, you know, their health, their retirement, whatever. They were sold a bunch of sizzle and now they're not getting any stake. And now in their later years, they may not even be able to get a new policy to transfer the cash out of since maybe their health keeps them from getting a new life insurance policy. Mm. They may not want to get a new life insurance policy if they're 83 years old or whatever. Uh, So the very thing that caused them to get into index universal life is now the thing that's biting them. So do you really want to hitch your financial future to a relatively new financial vehicle that's riddled with attorneys and court cases? So that's number three, ongoing litigation. Number two, reason not to own index universal life Good luck getting a competent advisor and customer service to track with you over a lifetime. 
Holly, go for it. Yeah, well, we just talked about the customer service <laughs> in uh, the last one. So, um, but I mean, even in addition to that, remember these IUL policies are financial products that are long term and need to be funded for a very long period of time. I would assume most people's intent would be starting these policies at, you know, in their younger years, saving, saving, saving for retirement, and then ultimately using it throughout their retirement years and ultimately letting it pass, you know, them passing away and letting it pass on to their family. So, I mean, we're talking some of the longest financial products you might ever, ever buy. And because of all the changes that can be made in the cost of insurance, the index, the cap rate, the spread, crediting allocations, the consistent changes in this product will make it really difficult for you to keep up with it. Add loans and withdrawals for income and retirement, and this makes things even messier, just even more going on. So do you think that a financial advisor who set all of this up for you will remember all of this 40 years from now when you're in retirement and need your money? Will he or she even be around anymore? I mean, just to be clear, at Lake Growth, we technically have full ability to design and create index universal life policies for our client. Our education, experience, um, and our licenses all allow us to do this. And we even work with insurance companies who do offer uh, both whole life and universal life. But why don't we? Uh, well, it has to do with you know where the hot potato lands in the lawsuits. Um, insurance companies are very good at protecting themselves from litigation. So when all of these sweet promises from Index Universal Life don't come true, and the client has signed contracts with the insurance company saying that they fully understood all of these risks, what protects the insurance company from being sued? Who's then left to sue? Well, the agent or the advisor who sold it. And maybe an attorney thinks they can't win against a big insurance company, but maybe they think they can come after an advisor. And so for us, that's reason enough, you know, not to touch UL with a 10-foot pole. Um, Yeah, exactly. I'll just uh, put a big underline under all of that. You're exactly right. Those insurance contracts were signed, and the uh, person who bought it says, claims, signs it, saying, yes, I understand all these risks. So, you know, yeah, who's left to come after then at that point? It would be, you know, advisors uh, mm-hmm. that sold it. So I, I, I hope that no one ever um, sells this unknowingly, but it can happen and, and is happening where mm-hmm. folks are getting sued. Well, yeah. And I mean, it, it sounds like a really, really good argument, right? Well, my advisor didn't explain this well enough. I didn't know that. They never told me this. I mean, Try mm-hmm. defending yourself against that in court. Good luck. Right. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I mean, they're definitely going to be on the side of the person that is going to be there with their sob story mm-hmm. of how their, um, you know, retirement has offen- essentially been ruined. Mm-hmm. And they're just going to be looking at this advisor like mm-hmm. they should have known, it's, you know, it's, it's their fault. So that's just, you know, one one reason. Um, and then, you know, what if you were without a competent advisor that remembers you and your plans way back when you bought this UL in the first place. After all the lawsuits have come through through the pipeline, will that new agent assigned to your policy really be able to help you or want to (laughs) with all the liability? So what's left then is calling up the insurance customer service department. And I mean, really, that's like an oxymoron. I mean, they do a great job handling simple requests like changing your beneficiary and so forth. But try asking for a complex financial change to your life insurance or just simply getting a withdrawal or a loan or asking them any kind of financial advice at all, like how much is a safe amount to take out of your policy without 
letting it run out of money. And I mean, you're they won't answer. You're it. yeah, yeah mm-hmm. you're you're out of luck. So they won't answer the question because they're not your advisor and they're not trained to answer those questions. Plus, it would be a liability again to them if they did answer. So again, in other words, you're on your own. Yeah. So right now, UL is popular and hot. So insurance companies are competing heavily against each other to raise caps, lower costs, to make it as attractive for the buyer as possible. But what happens when the industry moves on from your UL? But you haven't. Now their focus is not on these products being as attractive, and they have no reason not to squeeze all the profits out of these old index universal life contracts they sold back in 2018. They won't be keeping a huge staff of highly competent agents or customer service on the ready just in case you need to call them when you are, you know, 85 years old and finally yeah. need your money out of it's, it. It's, it's, it's an important uh, realization to realize that uh, whole life policies, uh, you, you are a policy owner with a mutual company. That means you are, a, in essence, an owner in the company. With universal life policies, you are, in essence, an asset to that company. Mm-hmm. So which would you rather be, an asset or an owner. And that <laughs> we, makes all the difference. Well, and, and just think about your own assets. What do you do with your assets? You squeeze mm-hmm. them for mm-hmm. all they're worth, right. right? I mm-hmm. mean, you try and get every possible penny of profit and mm-hmm. return that you can out of your assets. So, you know, again, like perfect point, Mark. I mean, just imagine which do you want to be to the insurance company? Do you want to be with their, you know, squeezing for every last penny mm-hmm. in a way? Or do you want to be the, you know, co-owner that they're trying to simultaneously, you know, benefit with? Sure. Well, so bring us home here, Holly. Yes. What's number one? All right. So the last, the last one, last reason, and reason number one is the burden of risk is back on your shoulders. So Mark, why don't you dive into that one sure. for us? Well, so, okay. So even if we're just coming into this cold, we have no clue what Mark and Holly have been talking about for the last few minutes. Um, what do you believe? Uh, take a moment, think through what is the basic, most simple definition of insurance? We're talking whether it's health insurance or auto insurance just the basic definition of of any kind of insurance is the transfer of risk from you to an insurance company. So Index Universal Life fails that basic, simple definition. And I'd add to that variable life does, universal, variable, universal life. You know, it, it all fails that basic definition. And if it can't meet that basic definition, why even talk further about it, right? Index Universal Life Insurance shifts all that burden and risk back on you, managing the policy from the insurance company back to you, the policy owner. The insurance company gets its money, but you don't necessarily get yours. You might as well very well have, you know, be paying skyrocketing premiums at that point just to keep the policy from lapsing, or you could risk losing everything uh, that you've paid into the policy over the years. Because the carrier has the ability to change all those moving parts, the dials on your on your product, the mortality expenses, uh, and certain elements of the interest crediting formula over time, the performance of the contract is really heavily dependent on how fair uh, the company management sets these elements throughout time. And of course, they set the rules. Uh, there's always the possibility that future management uh, of the insurance company could come in, swoop in, and decide that they want to maximize profits at the expense of the customers. So compare that to a bank on yourself whole life policy where your costs, your premium, your cash value, and the death benefit are all guaranteed. The risk is back on the insurance company to come through on those guarantees, and they're predetermined. So that means you get to know what those are before you put a penny into it. So why would anyone even consider buying index universal life insurance policies? 
My honest thought is because you've been told that the rate of return might exceed what return you would get in a whole life policy. And that's plain and simple. That's Mm -hmm. all there is. So, I mean, we've got plenty of other financial vehicles that can beat whole life insurance returns. I mean, hello, Wall Street, right? So why bundle risk and insurance together? It's like oil and water. Any, mm-hmm. any thoughts on that, Holly? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I couldn't agree. I mean, it's if, if you're really just chasing the higher return, there are potentially better products that could do that with that can't explode on you, right? right. I mean, mm-hmm. so at least in Wall Street, if you're just talking about a you know brokerage account, a mutual fund, the worst you can do is zero, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, where you know you could lose everything, but with IUL or UL, I mean, there's there's other risks at the same time, just as far as death death benefit expectations and those increasing costs. I mean, it could end up becoming an exponential increase, increasing cost throughout your lifetime. I mean, your, your brokerage account, if it's zero, it can't keep costing you more and more. Mm-hmm. You could just, you know, walk away and be done with it. So, you know, keep it separate, you know, keep your whole life insurance to the side, this is my life insurance. It's permanent whole life insurance that's going to be there for it's me, the even if I, portfolio. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. even if I stop paying premiums, even if I do X, Y, Z, even if I try and find ways to blow it up, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like it, it's probably still going to be rock solid there for you. Um, and then if you really want to chase those returns, once you have that foundation built, go for it, you know, but but probably do that, chase the returns in the market and truly in the market, not trying to bundle it with insurance. Like you said, it's just not a good combination. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you for making it through this top 10 list. Uh, there are just, there are too many people we've met and we felt like we just had to get this information out there. Again, even if you just stop listening to us at this point, unsubscribe, whatever you do, please just take our word for it and run as fast as you can when someone presents an index universal life or variable universal life. Uh, We'd be happy to give you a second opinion. If you do have some of these in your portfolio, just go to notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com, click on book a meeting, and uh, we'd be happy to review what you've got uh, and uh, let you know if uh, if and when that um, uh, product might collapse on you. Yes, Mm -hmm. Holly? Yeah, and we didn't just, you know, come up with this top 10 list or 10 reasons just by, you know, Googling online or looking in a book somewhere to find reasons why UL is bad and whole life is better. I mean, this is this is real life um, scenarios where we came up with these reasons. I mean, because we had clients that were coming to us with these policies that were in either already had exploded in the act of currently exploding or were lucky enough to catch it before it exploded, but we could see it was going to. And we and we dove into into the contracts. We dove into the policy and said, what's going on here? Why is this happening? How can someone be paying tens of thousands of dollars into something and have zero at the end? And these are what we came up with. These are the reasons we saw um, the mortality charges, the fact that they can change the terms on these clients at any given time. So this isn't just an arbitrary list that we came up with. I mean, again, like you said, Mark, I mean, this is, these are real lives, real people that got themselves in these products that we just talked to and, and dove in to see what was really going on and um, kind of saw how deadly these policies can be. I mean, real life story, people that put hundreds of thousands of dollars into these products and had nothing to show for it. And Anytime you have to have that conversation with someone, it's it's just devastating and you feel a need and an obligation to let people know um, and let other people know. Hopefully, you know, the goal here is that it's before it's too late because we already talked. I mean, I've talked to enough people for a lifetime that it wasn't, you mm-hmm. know, it or was too late and I didn't 
you know, they yeah. didn't know soon enough. So just all in an effort to make sure that um, hopefully we're not too late now. <laughs> there you go. Well, so each day is a new opportunity. And uh, take this opportunity to uh, reach out to us, and we'd be glad to speak with you. So thank you, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.